When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Forecast. I'm Post Media National Golf Writer John McCarthy here with Toronto Sun Golf Writer Dave Hilson. How you doing, John? Well, I've been better. But first of all, The Forecast is brought to you by Callaway. Learn more about how to up your game at callawaygolf.ca. Well, what's going on? Well, I had my golf club stolen. Oh. Out of the trunk of my car for the second time. Wow. So two different houses, two different thieves, I assume, unless somebody <laughs> really likes my golf clubs. Right. No, I went to my trunk a couple of weeks ago and uh, and they were I popped it open and there's nothing there. Okay. So I instantly thought of uh, how many beverages I had at the last couple of rounds of golf I played, but I determined I did not leave them anywhere and they were stolen. Where was the last place you saw them? I, I, all, I just keep in my trunk all the time. So yeah. I guess, the, you know, they're always there. So okay. I knew as okay. soon as I popped it open, they were gone. Um, and a few years ago, or maybe more than a few years ago, this, a similar thing happened. Um, that time I had two full sets of clubs in my trunk. Um, when I filled out the police report, they were a little, they, they kind of thought I was a little fishy, I think, when they're saying, so let me get this straight. You had two full sets right, of clubs. Right. I said, yes, crazy golfers sometimes keep two full sets of clubs in their trunk. Um, so that time they actually found them, which I don't think they often find things, you know, they get ripped out of cars, but yeah, I got a call a, a few days later saying that we've, we've got both your sets of golf clubs. So I, they called me to the station. I went in there and one of the cops had my range finder out and he was, as I walked in, he was shooting his buddy cop and he's telling him you're five yards away from me. <laughs> I'm not as optimistic this time around though. Um, That's but, too bad. But I actually played a my best round of golf of the year this weekend with a club, a set of clubs. I just sort of mix, mix, mix and match together in my garage. Right. So the guy I was playing with first, he looks in my bag and he says, it looks like you've been to a garage sale because what I did is I just went through my garage and I found like every club I remembered having fond thoughts of, I basically stuck in the bag. So my irons are made up of like three different sets. I have long irons that are really easy to hit from one set. Then I have some scoring irons that are, you know, more sort of players irons, but I remember playing well. And then the wedges are from a different set. So it's really a complete uh, mismatch, but I, I played great. Uh, So if the guy that, or, or girl, (laughs) that took your clubs is listening you probably want to thank them yes i want to thank them and good luck hitting those extra stiff shafts <laughs> um did you play any golf this weekend i did i was uh, up north i played cobble beach beautiful course it's a nice course i live up around there i grew up around there and i try and you know play several rounds every year played pretty well it's a doug carrick design course same as Magna, where this year's CP Women's Open is going to be played in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and the CP Women's Open, so our our other national open is is coming in a couple of weeks. It's uh, going to be great. Basically, every big star in the in the women's game is going to be there. And today we did an interview with Bill Paul, who was the longtime tournament director of the Canadian Open. Twenty three years he did that. He was with the Golf Canada for forty three years. We had a, a great conversation. It was a great chat. Yeah, we could have talked to him all day. So without further ado, here is our interview with Bill Paul. Big Bertha. It's an iconic name. Some of the longest and straightest clubs in all of golf. Well, now the legend just got even easier to hit. The new Big Bertha irons from Callaway are powered by a suspended energy core, a totally new construction to deliver easy launch, long, consistent distance with incredible sound and feel. This is by far Callaway's easiest-to-launch distance iron ever. 
Get big time distance now. Experience Big Bertha Irons today at your local golf shop or at callawaygolf.ca. And we're here with Bill Paul, who after 43 years with Golf Canada, has decided to step away and take a bit of a breather. He spent 23 years as the tournament director, and he's here on the line. How are you, Bill? Well, I'm well. I'm well. I'm relaxed and uh, kind of uh, kind of enjoying a uh, enjoying a summer that uh, I haven't had the chance to in the last, uh, seems like, century. <laughs> well, I was actually wondering about that. It's been, what, about two, a little over two weeks since the announcement, I think. And yeah. have you uh, have you been playing golf, more golf than you did in your former job? More golf, yes. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, over the course of all those years at Golf Canada and, you know, people would come on board and, you know, the one thing we would always tell them, they'd always brag about they were a four handicap or a 15 handicap or somewhere. And, uh, we'd always laugh and, and, you know, you're just in the business. You just don't have a lot of time to play and the time that you do when you have a young family or a family or other needs, you kind of tend to it. So, you know, to answer your question, I have been, I played, uh, I played four rounds, which is three more rounds than I played all of, uh, all of 2018. So it's, uh, it feels good. Where do you play your golf normally? Uh, well, I, uh, I liked, uh, I always thought at uh, one time that I was Canada's guest and, uh, you know, I used to get invited to a lot of places, but I played. Uh, I played at Hamilton, and I played up at Rattlesnake, where I am a member. Uh, and I just I played. I was in Belleville on the weekend and played uh, uh, Black Bear Ridge, which was a fabulous, uh, fabulous golf course uh, in that neck of the woods. And uh, I was up in Ottawa and and played the Hunt Club. So it was, uh, yeah, it was nice. It was nice to get out. And how's the game right now? Uh, the game is as good as it was when I wasn't playing very much. It <laughs> just is. Uh, it's just you just have a few more shots that say, "Hey, I think I'll come back." Rather than the one or three, I've got uh, you know, sort of ten or twelve that uh, that you know there's something there, and maybe the cobwebs will go away one day, and we'll get it back. You mentioned you played Hamilton. You have a, you have a connection to Hamilton Golf Club and the city. I. I'm not sure how many people know, but you were drafted by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is is that part of the reason why you wanted to get the uh, Canadian Open back to Hamilton? No, you know the uh, I was drafted way back when, and uh, I uh, I took a job. I pondered and back I went back and forth along the QEW, and I negotiated with Joe Zucker, who was the GM with the Tiger Cats at the time, and Jordy Hilton, who was the executive director of uh, the then the RCJ, and. I think both both offers were sixteen five, and I think I went back and forth along the QEW maybe, you know, eight to ten times, and uh, finally the offer that I started at was twenty twenty one or twenty two five, which was which was a pretty good amount of money for a kid coming out of school back then, and so I just looked at it, looked down on my knees, and valued my uh, valued my body, and you know, knock wood, didn't have a lot of uh, accidents, so I took a job in golf, but. I mean, the Hamilton thing was, uh, was interesting because we got a senior open. Uh, we had a senior open for a number of years and then had to give it up and then got it back in 1996. And we went to the Hamilton Golf and Country Club with it and, and had a, had a wonderful event. And Arnold Palmer played and Lee Trevino and a bunch of the stars on that, on that tour. And I think it was probably about a year later and I was addressing the club at a, uh, at a function that they had and I was just being a guest speaker. And this gentleman, who I believe was the president, stood up and, you know, after it was all over, asked asked me a question. When do you think that we could get an LPJ event or a senior tour event back? And I said, never. <laughs> Just to kind of provoke the uh, discussion. And yeah. he sat down and was somewhat perturbed and stood up and, you know, interrupted who was asking the next question. said, I'd like to understand why you said never. I'm a little bit offended by that. <laughs> and I said, I think you got to set your sights higher. I think this is a this would be a wonderful PGA tour golf course. And so, you know, the discussion started from there amongst uh, a number of people, including some staff members at that time that were members of Hamilton that, you know, you couldn't go because it was Hamilton. It wasn't Toronto. It was too old. It was in a residential community. It's too short. And, you know, lo and, lo and behold, we, you know, sort of got, got all by that. And uh, it, it, it has truly been in the four opens that I've been involved Regardless of the time of year, whether it's been, you know, this past June or a July date or a September date, it's, it's, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful venue to host it. The city's been great. Uh, 
you know, the membership has has embraced us all. So Hamilton's just been a wonderful place to hold and open. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, So in the last couple of weeks, have you gotten, I assume you've probably heard from pretty much more people than you thought you would. Is there one uh, one note or phone call that stands out or a few uh, that we might be interested in hearing about? Yeah, I mean, you know, you certainly, uh, you know, is well prepared for it. But when the day it the day the announcement went out and then you start making some phone calls and then people start reaching out to you. It, uh, I'm not going to lie. It certainly got to me. I'm, I'm a bit of an emotional guy at, uh, at any time. And, you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of calls. I got a lot of texts and certainly some emails and people just thanking me for, you know, all I've, all I've done. And I've never really thought I've done that much. I've had a great job and surrounded by a bunch of great people and worked for a great organization and uh, work with a lot of wonderful people. But, um, you know, certainly uh, I got a call from Jack Nicholas out of the blue that uh, wow. that was that was pretty impactful. Uh, Nick Price uh, called me. Um, I got a call from several, you know, Royal Montreal members and just just people from around, you know, that that at some point were were friends of yours and, and still are. But, you know, maybe you've just a bit of lost touch and. It was great. It was certainly wonderful to hear from a bunch of players, including some of the young guys on tour now. So, yeah, that was that was pretty nice. I guess so. I mean, a call from Jack Nicholas. He he liked one of my tweets once, and I think it basically made my uh, made my year just him liking a tweet. Yeah. So I can't imagine what a phone call would feel like. Yeah, well, it's funny because he was. Uh, we had worked on, you know, looking at a permanent venue and looked at some land up here, and I honestly thought he was calling me to give me crap about something or why haven't we done this or do that? And he just, he just said, you know, I, I, uh, I, I heard the news and I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks for our friendship and thanks for uh, everything you've done for golf. I really, really appreciate it. So it was kind of a nice, uh, it was a nice touch. Why did you feel like it was time to step away now, Bill? Well, I think that, um, you know, you look at, uh, you look at the organization and where it's, um, where it's, where it's been and where it's come from. And, um, I mean, it wasn't easy and, you know, Lawrence Applebaum and I had a conversation and it was, uh, you know, we just kind of looked at ourselves and, and, you know, I wanted to do a few things and, and, you know, I looked at, I looked at the teams in place and, you know, first of all, we hired a, uh, a young, a young guy that kind of took over the open this year. And, you know, I worked with Brian Crawford and I think Brian did a wonderful job at Hamilton and, uh, um, so I looked at, I looked at Ryan Paul, who's taken over the women's open and, you know, the teams that we have in place operationally and under John Sibley, our sales. And, um, I, I just think we got a really good, we got a really good team there at Gulf Canada. Um, there's a few other sort of additions that'll probably, that'll probably happen over the next uh, time that only make it, make it enhanced. And you could just see the direction that it was going to go into. And I, I just looked and, you know, I just smiled and, uh, you know, pretty proud of what I had accomplished and, you know, just will watch the team work on getting bigger and better as uh, time goes on. So it was, it just felt like the right time to, uh, the right time to move on. You mentioned that, uh, when you were talking to Jack Nicholas, you were talking maybe about a permanent venue for the RBC Canadian open. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see for the future as far as that goes? Do you think that, the RBC should be played at one course. Should it have a permanent home? Should it rotate? And if so, what courses do you like? Well, I think the um, the course or the venue that you play in is always a uh, is always one of the great questions. And I guess that you look at the sport itself and how big it's gotten. And when I started, it was all about you know the guys or the girls, depending on the tour that played inside the ropes and. Now it's it. There's so much of a challenge to engage corporate Canada, to engage partners and sponsors, and get them, you know, not only getting hospitality but being on site and activating, um, impacting spectators, talking to spectators, reaching out to spectators, and and how are we going to grow that? So when you look at 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 the footprint that is required, and I'll I'll just I've always referred to it as kind of the circus. Um, you know, those that are inside the ropes are basically the same every week. It's what you do outside the ropes and, um, you know, that make a difference to, to the event, to the size of the event, to the bottom line, to the impact in the community and what you're doing, um, you know, to grow the game itself. And, 
And so, you know, when you look at all that, it, a lot of venues, well, wonderful venues in this country, um, it, 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 it's really outside the ropes where, where a lot of venues have some challenges in terms of space, et cetera. And that, that really limits it. And so, I mean, I felt for, you know, a long time that, um, you know, going to a permanent home or building a permanent home, um, you know, was probably the right idea. And well, people will challenge you. Well, maybe in today's golf golf climate, that uh, you know, building a place isn't exactly uh, you know the right spend on money. Well, I guess my my opinion on that was always, you know, it wasn't just a golf course. It was multi-purpose, multi-sport, multi-recreation kind of a, you know, just what I had viewed at a number of places in in the UK and and in the states. And how do you build something where? Um, you know, there might be golf, but lands that you have for, for parking and for compounds and all that stuff is, might be soccer fields 51 weeks a year or cricket fields or other things, mm-hmm. but it might be the parking lot, um, you know, for one or two weeks a year. And so, you know, I always thought that there was a new definition of it and stuff like that, but, you know, certain things happen along the way that kind of, that kind of force you to get away from that plan and, uh, and, you know, we we kind of set a short-term, mid-term, long-term sort of venue strategy, and um, you know, right now we uh, you know, we got Hamilton for you know 19 and 23, and St. George's and 20 and 24, and you know, we're just working on that sort of 20 and 21 in the short term now. So, I mean, it's it's key, but I still think longer term in terms of what you can do. That uh, that was me going to a permanent home and building something and and evolving it and changing it, but having it more than a golf course was the, was the way to go. Yeah, actually, I was speaking to uh, Mr. Nicholas in February, and he I talked to him a bit about Glen Abbey when we were at the Players' Championship, yeah. and he he said he's not he's not convinced that it won't be back there at some point. I mean, is that without maybe just be Jack, uh, you know, uh, thinking fondly of the place he built, or is it still because it's so functional for Canadian Open? Is it is it still sort of there in a pinch if if uh, if you need it? Well, I think the. Um you know, one of the reasons to get away from Glen Abbey was really kind of the noise around around Glen Abbey. And, you know, when you go to the the recent events in, in probably 16 and 17, there were really a lot of noise about the negativity and the negativity, meaning the sale of Glen Abbey, the development of Glen Abbey, the town in the heritage or saving Glen Abbey. And there was less about the RBC Canadian Open. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we knew we had to play there in 18 and, and prior to 18, we had this big announcement about a date change. And so that kind of really helped. And then Glen Abbey became more of a, more of a, it's the last time at Glen Abbey. So I think that, you know, our mindset uh, was really to move away from Glen Abbey. Um, you know, where do we go and find, and find golf courses that can, that can stage the open, that can hold the open, that are still a quality and a test of golf inside the ropes and can be part of a, uh, you know, part of a multi-course venue rotation strategy that we had. So, but having said that, I don't think Glen Abbey is, is ever out of the question. It just wasn't in our, in our, in really in our short and midterm plans moving forward. And so I think, you know, a little bit where Jack came from, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to speak for Mr. Sahi, but, you know, I think even if he had the green light today, he's probably five or seven years before he can put a shovel in the ground. And, um, I think rezoning it for his liking for down the road, be it 10 years, be it 25 years is probably what he really wanted. And, you know, can Glen Abbey remain a golf course? I, I certainly hope so for a guy that spent, you know, every year from the first open there to the end, it certainly is a special place in my mind or in my heart. But, uh, um, you know, that's that's in somebody else's hands right now. So there's been some criticism about Glen Abbey over the year, just how low the pros, you know, minus 20 and that kind of thing, winning scores. Um, did you ever have a problem with that? And do you think that, you know, National Open, like the way the uh, it is in the U.S., like should be, a tougher challenge where, you know, the winning scores are five under, six under, or does that even bother you? I think it's the entertainment business and, you know, people like to watch, uh, people like to watch birdies and eagles or crashes and burns and <laughs> par golf can be a little bit, uh, be a little bit boring at times. And, um, you know, I'll go back to, 
I'll go back to June of this year. We had a kid called Roy McElroy win the yeah, Open. Yeah. I don't think anybody knew what his score was, but he he shot some low numbers there. But it was Roy McElroy, and you know, go back almost 20 years ago, and you know, Tiger was what 23 at Glen Abbey, and nobody really criticized the score. The fact that it was Tiger Woods, Woods won our National Open, and so you know, I I, I get the criticism. I get what people feel. I I think it's from a small group of uh, of uh, of 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 the population, if you, if you will, people like, uh, you know, people like, people like scores. I, I can tell you they're just that good. Yeah. I mean, to me, today's players and there's just more of them that are just better. Um, you know, I think whether it's the ball, the equipment, the player themselves and his or her physicality and training, uh, or just the team that surrounds them in the agronomical, um, uh, you know, how you, how you maintain a golf course now, it's just going to be, there's, there's going to be difference. I don't know that there's a lot of defense for it. I think, I mean, I do think some of the, some of the smaller venues have it, but you know, when you're, when you're in the zone, you're, you're going to go deep regardless of the, of the golf course. You just, you just, they're just that good of players. Yeah, there does. There hardly seems to be any courses that can defend themselves anymore. I mean, even at this year's Open Championship, if uh, it hadn't yeah. been for the weather on the final day, I mean, guys might have got to minus twenty or something like that. So. Yeah, I mean, just having spent time at a lot of Open Championships, it's uh, you know the weather is certainly a big impact there. But uh, I mean, just you know, the last three that I've been to, and I watched, uh, you know, obviously at uh, Port Rush, and it was you know they're they're just. They're just good. Yeah. <laughs> They're just so good. I mean, Lowry was just, I mean, you know, there's a, it's interesting. Shane Lowry wins there. Nobody remembers that he finished second at Hamilton. Right? I, yeah, know, I know. That's right. It's, uh, it's, it's just kind of a funny, uh, it's kind of a funny thing what we all remember. But I mean, you know, golf courses are golf courses. And, uh, um, you, you know, I mean, I, I guess the only thing, and I know there's too much money into it, too much, uh, um, you know, from a, from an endorsement and from a, and from a cash standpoint and sales standpoint. But, you know, I've always thought, uh, you know, if you could ever put a barrel on the first tee and every pro that comes up, you know, grabs three or five golf balls, whatever he thinks he needs. And, you know, the golf ball is the same. And, you know, when you look at other sports, there's a puck, there's a football, a baseball, et cetera. Mm. They're all the same. And golf's just a little bit different that way, but yeah. It is what it is. You still have to put the cup in the hole and you still have to beat a number of players along the way. And it's typically you versus the course, not, not you versus the guy beside you or four holes ahead of you or somebody that hasn't teed off yet. So yeah, for sure. Always an interesting sport that way. You're talking about the open championship in Lowry. I was talking to Graham McDowell right after he won and McDowell said that on the PGA tour in America last year, uh, Lowry would be practicing his flop shots off the fringe of the greens. And he's, you know, Lowry's got such a good short game, but McDowell's like, you know, what's this guy doing? Why is he in a practice round hitting flop shots off the fringe? Is, is he sort of sh- showing off? But then he turned, I don't know if he asked him or if he just figured it out that he was actually trying to practice the tight, tight bare lies he's going to get in the open championship, but he couldn't practice them in America anywhere else because you don't really get them anywhere other than the fringe of the green. So he was out there in America working on thinking down the road at the open yeah. championship. So these guys, they, there's nothing they don't think of. No, it's funny. You know, I, I had heard that and, and I mean, I'll tell you a funny story, but in, uh, this was probably 78 or 79 and Glen Abbey on the old 17th green. It was kind of a design. It was a, it was a two layer, two level. It looked like a horseshoe type green with a bunker in the middle. Mm-hmm. And there was Gary player hitting lob wedges off the bottom <laughs> to get onto the top in a, in a practice round. Mm. And I was sitting there watching the guy. I mean, I wasn't at a level where I was going to go up and question the guy, what he, what he was doing, but there were other players that were criticizing him for doing that. And he says, you know, you, when you play like I do around the world, you need to face different shots. And if hmm. I have to chip off a green to get from this level to the next level, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And, you know, Gary was a guy that, that, probably at that time played more international golf than anybody and was obviously faced with those kind of conditions. So, you know, it was interesting what Shane was doing. Yeah. Uh, And one thing I've, I've wanted to ask you is uh, for a long time is you always, I hear when I'm around covering events, there's sort of these near disasters at tournaments, you know, whether it's a volunteer, something goes wrong and they're, you know, threatening not to show up on Thursday, but the fans never sort of see this because usually on come the Thursday, everything looks pretty much perfect. But, 
can you think of any sort of whether it's even you know a tornado tracking for a Canadian Open venue or volunteer or something? But what are some of the near disasters you've sort of narrowly averted over the years? Well, I think uh, there's probably been about a thousand of them. And, uh, <laughs> some of them you've encountered. I mean, you mentioned a hurricane. I remember, you know, we knew we were going to get the remnants of Hurricane Fran in 1996, mm-hmm. and you know, we ultimately shortened it to to 54 holes, which at that time was was the right call. And um, Dudley Hart won, but at the end of the day, I still say Tiger would have been top three and that was that was the second pro event at the, at that time um you know there's been weather issues that have come up that we've made decisions on or i've made decisions on to adjust tea times and you just get you just get sunny skies and so yeah. you know you've adjusted tea time so maybe you've gone off on a saturday or sunday you've gone off on one in ten and um you know your volunteers have had to come in early and adjust schedules and I mean, there's certainly been times where volunteers haven't showed up. There's been times where it's rained out and you get parking lots have turned into mud and nobody can understand it because, because the sun's shining and <laughs> you get, you get Knights of Columbus or service clubs that just can't understand why it's not perfect and how are you going to make it perfect? Uh, um, you know, certainly players that have had, uh, you know, that have committed to you that have WD'd, um, um, I, I, I look at, uh, I look at the first time I took the event to Hamilton and I mean, many people won't remember this, but, um, there was this worldwide academic going on called SARS. Oh yeah. yeah. And, uh, it, 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 I remember being at the Memorial tournament, uh, recruiting players and being in the player lounge and there's CNN on the TV and it's a picture of China. The caption or the ticker tape below is talking about Toronto. Oh no! And I'm like, I got players tell me like, like unless this changes, like I'm not coming. I'm not oh, coming. No. Did you unplug the and, TV? <laughs> uh, well, I uh, yeah, that would have been that would have been the thing to do. And I'm like, oh my god, fight a hip bad battle. So I remember working with the Canadian Medical Association on it and getting you know just reports on where we were. You know, we were in Hamilton, we were in Toronto. You kind of kind of go back to that. And at the end of the day, we had a really good field and then the cut and then the deadline came on Friday and I had 35 guys at WD oh my gosh. Wow. of which there were probably 27 of them were sort of marquee players. Wow. And, um, you know, I, I think that was, that was hard to take. Yeah, um, what did, what did you have to do? Did, is, did Jerry D play in the event that year? <laughs> yeah. Well, you still, well, you, you know, you always have enough guys. It's the PGA tour. So yeah. there's always an alternate yeah. list and players are looking to get in, but it was just because you were, you know, again, you go back where people really challenged you about playing Hamilton and you couldn't play there. And, you know, I did it. I recruited pretty hard that year and we were up against a new event in Boston that Tiger was sponsoring or, you know, his foundation was running that was going to finish on the Monday. So there's a lot of things against us, but, you know, we had uh, assembled a pretty good field until that happened. And ultimately the whole SARS thing, uh, you know, uh, ultimately hurt us. But I mean, there's been a lot of things over the, over the years, many, many weather wise. I think it's, you know, the one great thing about it is that you have this whole team and it's not just, you know, this myself and the staff that we worked at, but, you know, a great whole infrastructure of Gulf Canada that got behind it. You have great title sponsors and their whole team, but I mean, hats off to, you know, all the volunteers that, uh, that just give their time and stay late when tea times went late because of weather or you had to make adjustments. And, you know, I think I was trying to work out on all the opens and LPJs and senior opens. And I think I, you know, probably close to a hundred thousand volunteers that I worked with. And it was, uh, you know, I mean, hats off to them that really make it, uh, that really make it, made it happen. Now you're going to be staying on with Golf Canada in an advisory role. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what will that look like? Is it just a transition thing, or what? What do you foresee? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of transition. Maybe helping out uh, Brian and Ryan on their specific events. Uh, you know, probably the venues, whole strategy going going forward. I mean, it really all depends on how you know those two guys really want me involved and. Uh, uh, and how Lawrence, uh, you know, how he may, uh, how he may want, uh, how he may want me involved. So, I mean, I'm prepared to be involved and I'm prepared to, uh, sit back and be a fan too. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, uh, it's been a, 
it's been a great run. There's no question about it. I've uh, I've seen the the ups and the downs and and all the errors and uh, you know you've seen sponsors come and and sponsors go and date changes and television contracts and sometimes you've you've seen the low parts and uh, you wonder if you're ever going to get out of it. But you know the good news is it'll survive and it'll move forward and it seems to be on a great track to. Uh, you know, for the next, uh, you know, for the next generation to uh, move it in a, uh, move it in an upward direction. For sure. And you, we talked a bit about Tiger and Jack, and obviously they're two guys that have, uh, you know, sort of got the sport to a new level. In, is there anyone else other than those two that in your tenure really could move the needle? Well, I've always, uh, I've always said that, you know, one of the great pleasures that I've had, I've been on the board of the tour and was president of the senior tour for a while. And, I mean, in my tenure, I've had a chance to meet everybody from Sam Snead to Byron Nelson to, you know, Nicholas and Palmer and uh, Gary Player and Tiger and everybody in between. And I've always said in a post-Nicholas era, there's probably only been three guys that have moved the needle. And Mm -hmm. when I mean moved moved the needle and really impacted your whole ticket sales, and that's been obviously Tiger, and he still does it. And uh, Greg Norman did it for a short period of time and probably John Daly for a short oh, really? period of time yeah, too. Really? But, you know, and there's, there's a lot of guys, whether it's Mickelson and O'Mara or couples and all that. And I think they've, they've given the event a great, a great push, but it's just been, when I talk about the needle, I'm talking about it, you know, going from zero to 60 and, yeah. you know, less than four seconds. And, and, you know, those, those players have really, have really, really moved it. And, uh, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a Tiger win and, uh, I, you know, I knew he was going to be somebody or, you know, coming off of, uh, you know, when I first met him, he had won the three juniors and won one amateur. He hadn't won his second. And I met him at Augusta in 95 and just through a friend and, you know, sort of stayed in touch primarily with his dad at that time. And then in 96, uh, um, you know, on the range at Augusta, I, uh, wasn't supposed to be there, but snuck on there and <laughs> had, uh, you know, offered him a spot to play. I did not do it prior to that, but offered him a spot to play and, and his dad accepted it. And wow. it was, uh, it was, it was nice. And I didn't know at that time whether he was going to turn pro or whether he was going to remain an amateur. There was obviously all that talk. And, and it was funny because when he, when he won that amateur, the winner's third amateur that, uh, later that August. And of course, you know, he made the reference that he was going to go pro and they only, they only talked about Milwaukee and they only talked about the, I believe it was called the Hardy's classic, which was the mm-hmm. event after us. Nobody talked about the, the, then the Bell Canadian open. And, uh, I knew he was going to play. I knew he was going to play in that event before he played at any event, but yeah, it was. And then, and then I guess, you know, just sticking with Tiger, the whole 2000 and that whole, you know, recruiting there. And I mean, recruiting a players is kind of a, I, I, I mean, I talk about, I use the word recruiting, but it wasn't, it wasn't as if I went down with a bag full of cash Yeah, and it's, right. it's, it's changed a ton. And, you know, I think Tiger Woods came and changed the whole landscape on how pros play, what they think about, what, what the majors mean, how should I you know, well, there was a physical movement, um, you know, players are just, they're just very, very athletic now, you know, what they, what they go through. And I mean, people will, people will not realize what Tiger did and how much Tiger changed, you know, from corporate dollars to caddies to what, what, what amenities are at tournaments and what we all have to have to provide. And, you know, there was certainly a movement to get there, but Tiger just, Tiger brought it from, you know, the depths and above the water and reach the, reach the skies and beyond, uh, on what, on what he was doing, certainly on tour. And, uh, I guess I go back to 2000 and that whole recruiting when I think it was in June, I, I got him to play and, um, but I couldn't tell anybody it <laughs> was, it was 98% sure, but 2% had Tiger said no would have been a catastrophe. And so, you know, I kept it quiet. I never told my wife. There were probably three people that knew wow. about it: Tiger, mm-hmm. his agent, Mark Steinberg, and myself. And it's like you're on The Bachelor, and you're yeah. not allowed to say anything until the not show allowed airs. To say anything, <laughs> yeah. And then I brought a police officer into it because I knew the security would be. And oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm increasing our buses, and I'm increasing toilets, and the whole infrastructure. I'm telling people to be prepared for this and staff up and do this. People are looking at me like I'm nuts. Like what am <laughs> I, I guess on? So. And so. 
you know, I had done up a press release, you know, a month ahead of time, just as a joke. And then I, I sort of, I had to bring the circle open to about five people. And I, I literally had thought of everything. There wasn't one thing <laughs> I didn't think about. And then when the, he never committed until the Thursday. And then, um, um, so when the guy from the PJ tour was in town and he said, you know, who committed today? And I said, oh yeah, I was in a little staff meeting at the time. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, he, you know, I, I, I knew that about a month ago. That's funny. And so I said, so I said, oh, just let me call. So I called our communications director at the time and said, you know, that press release on Tiger, go ahead and send it out. And of course he didn't want to send it out because he thought I was joking. And I said, send it out, really push the button in. And it literally became a, a circus in a half hour period where, you know, all this media and helicopters and people were just flooding into the place to buy, to buy tickets. And the one thing I had not thought about was people buying tickets, which was the stupidest thing (laughs) as I'm increasing all this stuff. And I know our great staff worked till like 2 a.m. Just, I think we had like 20 of us, just, we had to get Bell in there to add all these phone lines. And we were just literally taking phone calls from people from all across North America. That's awesome. And I were just buying tickets. It was just, it was like nothing I'd ever, uh, I'd ever seen. And, uh, it was funny because, you know, you're just out on tour with them and you knew it was, I could only imagine what Muhammad Ali was like. Yeah. And, you know, was he Jordan's equal? Probably maybe even above him and just what he, what he met. And, you know, I know, I'll tell you another one where he was, he was there and he's playing and I was just getting, all of these packages and for him literally my office was full of these tiger woods things and so i said so i caught him after a round and i said man like yeah yeah, you got to come down and take all this crap out of my office (laughs) and he goes i don't want any of it and and i said well you got to come down and see it he goes so he told me to pick out 10 things and he goes pick out you know four or three or four envelopes that'll look like a photo or a letter and do these packages and do that package. And he, and he said, there'll be pictures of women that'll want me to, <laughs> you know, just come and come and get together with them. And there'll be pictures of, wow. you know, or some, some charity thing to be signed and there'll be somebody endorsing food. So we picked out 10 things and lo and behold, there was pictures of, uh, <laughs> this thing wanted to, wanted him to, you know, to get together with him and my kid's dying. And if you can only sign these four things for me, that would be great. And, right. you know, here's food samples. It was just, uh, unbelievable. Was, uh, and that was then it yeah. only, it only got bigger probably yeah. for him. Yeah. That was, that was probably the, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he's fallen anything, but that was, that was the height of, yeah. you know, that whole tiger mini thing. But on the flip side, you take it on the, you take it on the flip side where, you know, Arnold, uh, Arnold was all scheduled to come out and play in an event, the senior event we had in Calgary and we used them in all of our materials. And, and, uh, Mark O'Mara was, uh, this was 1998. Cause I know Mark O'Mara had won, you know, two majors, the masters and the British open that year. And, you know, was playing in the, uh, in the, in the Canadian open. And both those guys called the day of the deadline and said they were withdrawing and Arnold for, you know, some personal reasons. And Mark was just, uh, you know, which, so Arnold was devastating, obviously to the great people of Calgary. And I remember Arnold that just said, uh, you know, I said to him, um, you know, you'd committed and I had done all this stuff and what would you like me to say? And he just looked at me and said, well, Bill, you're a big boy and they pay you a lot of money. I'm sure you, I'm sure you can figure it out, but, I look forward to seeing you at Bay Hill down the road, right? There. Yeah. So you figured out and, uh, you know, Mark was just another story, but yeah. you know, you live with the, you live with the good and you live with the bad. And, uh, for sure. ultimately at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, we, we've had some disappointments and we've had some great, uh, some great accolades. Yeah. That story has been going around recently about you playing basketball a little bit with Tiger shooting a few hoops, but then right. Nota Gay had a, he was saying that Tiger was not good enough to be a starter on the uh, rec league Stanford <laughs> basketball team. So maybe you can be the defining voice about whether Tiger Woods is good at basketball. Yeah, he was, um, you know what, it was just, it was, it was just more of a couple of hoops in a driveway. And uh, I think he looked at me and said, now I know what that guy meant when white man can't jump. So, uh, <laughs> but you're, Come on, you're an athlete. Yeah. Were you, yeah, a, t- well, were you a tight end or a lineman? You're a big guy. I was a I was a running back. Oh really? Wow. I was a running back, and uh, you must have been big for the day, no? I was. Uh, yeah, I was. 
I was big for the day. I think I was fast. I was, but believe it or not, it's, uh, I know all those, uh, all those attributes will leave you pretty quickly, but <laughs> it was, uh, no, it was good. It was, uh, it was a, uh, I enjoyed the sport. I still do, but it's, um, as I said earlier, I looked at my body and said, I kind of value that I didn't really have any knee operations and other things. And I said, yeah, I think I'll take this gig in golf and, uh, see where it takes me. And for sure, never knew I'd be there for three weeks, three years or 33 years. And yeah. Lo and behold, it, uh, turned into a career. So yeah, well, seems like it was a pretty good move. I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah, no, it was, uh, no, it was good. And I said, it's just, it's really been the people and, um, I've had great fortune to meet a lot from around the world. And one of the great events that I was tournament director of that, uh, I've always been pro to bring back to Canada is the world amateur, which is kind of in its time, the Olympics of golf. And we hosted it. Oh yeah. Capilano or something, right? Yeah. In yeah. 1992. And I know prior to that, they had 26 countries participate in it, which we anticipated to come to Vancouver. We had Marine Drive for the women's and Capilano for the hmm. for the men's competition, and the the entries just kept on coming. We had 53 male countries and some 30 36 or 34 female countries. It was the largest. I think it's still been the largest to date, um, even now. And it was a it was it was really cool and. Uh, I, I I met a lot of players and some females and you know Justin Leonard you know, the first time I met him and David Duvall were you know became we always have that as a common you know sort of alignment there when we when we first met and that was the big lowdown when back then Mike Weir had, was the star Canadian and at that time when you filed your your entry form as soon as you signed it sealed the envelope and put it in the mail you were you were considered a pro. Hmm. And so Mike had done that, mm-hmm. unknowing that, and still was going to participate in the World Amateur because oh, qualifying hmm. was later in October, and uh, was had to been had to been taken off the team because he was now deemed deemed a pro, which was which was you know those rules have changed, but yeah. it was so unfair, and we kind of lost our lost our star player, but uh, it was still a great event and one that I will uh, that I'll always remember. Yeah, well, sort of one last thing we'll leave it on is, for me, the Canadian Open, I can't think of a a tournament that has more sort of unique identities on the PGA Tour. Like for some people, for Canadian players, it's like almost the Holy Grail, you know, it's basically a fifth major. For other players, it's a a good tour event. For some guys, they're using it as a tune-up. So in your mind, what sort of should the Canadian Open be? And can you think of another tournament that has so many different identities in one? Well, it's a great question. And I can tell you through all my travels and I've been to every PGA tour event. There wasn't, there wasn't one that I didn't get to some more than others, some just one, but I can tell you that in all that time and when the FedEx cup was starting, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful initiative that the PGA tour and obviously FedEx through their sponsorship started. Um, it, 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 it's, there were a number of tournaments that were going to change or had to change. And so, um, I can, I can probably name five or six that always claimed they were the fifth major. Mm-hmm. So while people claim the Canadian open was, I can tell you that there are always a number of other ones that always claimed they were the fifth major. And so, you know, I knew when there was this whole thing in the world series of golf, when the four major winners got to play, if there was ever a tie, then the Canadian open just because of where it was got, got the next thing. And maybe that's where we got our fifth major from. But I mean, when you look at the world of golf and I've always thought that, that, that the world of golf just kind of in, and you know, there's always different milestones in the certainly seventies and eighties and nineties and two thousands and the tens. And, and every milestone is kind of defined the tour, but, uh, and, and to a large degree, the, the Canadian open. And so I look at it by, I know the media was taking over, in the in the eighties and when we had this tobacco company and tobacco companies were facing a lot of challenges in Canada and that was going to start to roll in the United States. And so one of the things they couldn't do was advertise. And as the tour was taking over all of the TV rights and media rights for tour events, we we were going to get a new date and we were going to get a date that that probably was a little bit of a shock to us. What a lot of people don't don't remember before that September date in nineteen ninety the Canadian Open moved around 
Mm-hmm. It's it never had a consistent date from 1970 through to 1989. It just yeah. it was in the same date, maybe maybe twice, but it really mm-hmm. moved around. I mean, there were I mean, I worked a lot of June tournaments and I worked some August tournaments, and so I think you know we had a we had a date that was now going to be consistent, but we didn't have any TV, we didn't have any major TV, so so the tour was changing, and those. There was a world where sponsors were going to start to dominate it, and those that have sponsors and the tour was going to try and get them, as they still do, to buy into the TV package, which ultimately determined, you know, who's on who's on a who's on a network broadcast, NBC, ABC, CBS back then, and so you know you look at you look at that milestone, and then you then you look ahead to um, I I think when the elevation of uh, of, of of probably the the gap in 92 to 96 and sort of that pre tiger post Jack, um, what, what was going to happen. And, you know, Greg Norman came out with the, with the world golf tour and a lot of players were going around the world. A lot of players were going here. And so that, you know, suggested to Tim Fincham and his crew that coming up with world golf championships and, so when you look at when you look at how golf and the whole tours just kept on growing, um, there were a lot of tournaments that that stayed where they were, and then you had the elevation of uh, of I think the majors have elevated with Tiger, yeah. not that they weren't, but I think they've taken a huge step. And then you put these World Golf Championship events in there, where the very best players were playing, and then you still had Invitationals. That were now Jack Nicholas's and Arnold Palmer's and back then Byron Nelson. And so there were, there were ones. And then came the tour championship where you wanted to play. And then the FedEx Cup comes in, you know, ultimately its first year in 2007. But that was going to change. And then so now with the globalization of the game and the money involved, you know, you, you look at players and the better players are doing what Jack did mm. and play those. 19 20 21 events and you know you got to take time to practice you got to take time to you know to be with your family and friends you got to take time to do stuff with sponsors and and that's you can only play so many so many times and and so i mean i look at it and i look at all the things that were growing around i mean we're close to the canadian open so we look at how the golf world sort of sort of moved around and built up around the around the RBC Canadian Open or the Bell Canadian Open or whoever was sponsoring it. And so, you know, I I think the I personally still think, albeit he's adding events, I still think there'll be a global tour. I hmm. I do. I think hmm. I think a lot of players want it. I look yeah. at what Keith Pelly's doing in Europe and he's got five or seven that are really, really strong. He's kind of stayed away from the meat of the summer season and you know, that's into the PJ Tour. I think the PJ Tour moving away from the playoffs, or excuse me, moving their playoffs away from the NFL yep. and NCAA football was a was a huge, uh, you know, was a was a, was the right move. And so, you know, I just I just think things are going to continue to to evolve. Um, I think every day, you know, those big events are never going to go away. Um, I go back to Byron Nelson when he had the Dallas event when Byron left the event sort of went down a little bit. I know Jack is probably a little worried about what happens with the memorial when he, you know, departs us and yeah. Arnold is left. And, you know, I think the event held, held some, had some issues in terms of its field in, in a year. I think it got back last year just for what players could do. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of events go through with the, what the, the, the RBC Canadian opens doing. Um, the RBC Canadian Open just has this great sponsor in RBC that can, you know, that that has that has taken golf as a marketing arm of its and what it does and has taken another event at Heritage and you know has created these has created these two events has created them for for reasons of of their three business lines and in and in and in and investing um, you know whether it's whether it's their wealth or capital markets or their private and commercial banking. Um, and how can they use this golf as a platform? It's it's working for them. Their team RBC, their commitment to players, you know, beyond the two tournaments is uh, is is just a model that is being used at um, by other sponsors now. So I mean, sponsors are investing in the in the in the in the in the sport. Um, I think it'll grow. I mean, the date change 
regardless of what it was going to do to the field, I knew the date change was just going to inject this life into the into the RBC Canadian Open, and you were going to get away from all the festivals and events and everything else that was just hurting us in July, and you put us in June before anything, and um, you know you had this summers here, summers open, and patio season, and you're in this great city on this great venue, and. You know, yeah. the RBC gets into the music business and we have these concerts and the great food scene in Hamilton. And all of a sudden it wasn't about who's inside the ropes. It was about, it was about a lot about the outside the ropes For and that, sure. and that, and that footprint. And so, you know, carrying that on is going to be, uh, it's going to be important. So, I mean, every year you're going to, you're going to go up, you're going to, you're going to go down. It's, it's just, it, it's got a really good feeling that we're going, uh, you know, in the right direction and moving forward. And St. George's, you're going to be in the middle of the city of Toronto. And while it's going to be a completely different venue than Hamilton in terms of the size that it, that it's got, I've always felt that, you know, we left a lot on the table in 2010, and you know how do we use the street to make more of a street fest? And it'll be completely different than Hamilton, but in a lot of ways, it's got probably better better potential to keep it growing. Yeah, for sure. I bet you know. I bet forty years ago, you didn't think there'd be a twenty thousand person concert in the middle of your uh, Canadian Open. So things have certainly changed, and you've been there for most of them. Uh, I want to. Oh, one thing I want to leave you with is: Did you know that when you, you? I guess you certainly don't know, but when you the tournament director job came up about 25 years ago. My dad actually applied, and I think that was probably when you got it. So I think <laughs> if it had gone a different way, I might have been sitting here interviewing my dad. So I want to thank, yeah. thank, you, oh, for, wow. <laughs> thank you for getting wow. that job. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. It's been wonderful. And uh, yeah, 20, yeah, when I started, uh, God, there were no computers. <laughs> we, had a, we had a word processor that punched out a bunch of letters in the 80s and who would have thought, uh, you know, how we how we attract people and, you know, through a digital and social world would uh, God, none of us ever would have thought that back no, in back sure. back when I started. So yeah, and you rolled with it all. So I want to uh, congratulate you on that career, and I also want to thank you for joining us here on the forecast. Um, and everybody, that's uh, Bill Paul. Thanks a lot, Bill. Sean, Dave, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's it for another episode of The Forecast. So remember to subscribe and give us a rating. And I'm at John McCarthy's son on Twitter. I'm Dave underscore Hilson at Twitter. And we'll be back with another episode next week. 